0: Happy Halloween and welcome one and all to this spooky October edition of She Said, She Said as we look back over one of the most gruesome events of the late 60s, the Manson Murders. I'm Lena Stagg, your school friend for all things Manson today and the author of the Recipe Records series of rock and roll cookbooks. Where there are plenty of haunted Halloween recipes to enjoy, such as one of my favorites, the Helter Skelter Skillet and Dark Side of the Moon Pies, and not to be outdone by Peppermint Bark at the Moon. (laughs) They're delicious and easy to prepare and fun to make, and if you order the book in the next two weeks prior to Halloween, I'll email you a song list of the best haunted songs to enjoy on your Alexa listening device. My books are filled with tons of groovy song lists to enjoy while you cook and create, and there are lots of rock and roll stories, trivia, and facts as well. So check out all four volumes in the Recipe Records Cookbook series at Com and sign up for my free newsletter while you're there, too.
1: And hey, guys, I am so happy to boo here on this very eerie day to welcome one of our all-time favorite guest back to the show. I'm Jude Sutherland Kessler, Lena's trusty sidekick and the author of the John Lennon series, which is a nine-volume narrative biography on John's life, meticulously researched over the last 30 years. Now, the first four books in the series are already available for you to enjoy. You can order them at Amazon.com, TheFest.com, or if you want the very best price, go to my website, JohnLennonSeries.com. That's JohnLennonSeries.com. And that will take you back into the history of the Beatles from the day that John was born all the way up to 1965 thus far. And you'll get to walk with John and the Beatles almost daily, as they meet and they form a band and they skyrocket to fame. So check out Volumes 1 through 4 at JohnLennonSeries.com. And just as Lena suggested with her website, you can sign up for my newsletter as well. It's free, free, free.
0: That's right. And do you want to know a scary secret? Both Jude and I send out coupons and gifts now and again, so don't miss out. If you lived in the 60s or have studied the history of those years, you know that the song by the Beatles from the White Album called Helter Skelter was linked to the Sharon Tate-LaBianca murders that were committed by the Charles Manson family. For you young hipsters that may not relate to that time period or have no knowledge of it, it this this whole scenario was kind of portrayed in the summer Quentin Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which was a terrific movie, but it was not uh, factual at all, but it does mention the, the old Manson thing. But during the trial for the Manson family, it was asserted that Paul McCartney's Helter Skelter inspired those gruesome slayings. Well, today we're going to find out if that's true. As we welcome the man who literally wrote the book in the late 60s on the Manson murders, entitled Five to Die, this award winning work was so factual and correct and detailed that it was adopted as part of the court record for the Manson trial.
1: Absolutely, it was. And I have to tell you, it is a scary, truly scary book. I was reading it at night before I went to bed and I decided not to do that anymore <laughs> because it is it's scary. So I'm sure that it won't surprise you listeners out there when I tell you that, that our guest today is one of the world's most respected journalists. He toured with the Beatles. He was the only Journalist to go on the entire 1964-1965 tour with the Beatles several other journalists joined after the fact but he was there from day one on in 1964 and he was with the Beatles when they met Elvis in 1965 but I mean that's not all one night at dinner I casually said to him who else besides the Beatles have you interviewed and he began to tell me some of these things I'm going to share with you Mm -hmm. he was absolutely close friends with Muhammad Ali, interviewed him many times and became close friends with him, close friends with Steve McQueen, and Ali McGraw, and so many others in Hollywood. He was within inches of Bobby Kennedy on that fateful, very tragic night when Bobby was assassinated, and he was one of Ronald Reagan's boys on the bus during the Reagan campaign. He even did something that really is mind-blowing. You know, journalists were barred from reporting on James Meredith's entry into Ole Miss when James Meredith was the first black student to walk onto the Ole Miss campus. No journalists were allowed. So our clever guest posed as a student and used that cover to observe and report on this great moment in history. Needless to say, he is quite savvy, and intelligent, and a stellar reporter, and we are so thrilled to have with us for the fourth time on She Said, She Said, our very dear friend, Mr. Ivor Davis. So, Ivor, welcome to the show.
2: Well, thank you so much, and it's always a pleasure to be with you two lovely ladies talking about the Beatles, but I'm not so sure, although it's Halloween, we can get everybody spooked up with stuff about Manson. But I want to say one thing you just said, Jude, that in 1962, I was able to pose as a student. I don't know if you know, but in 1962, I was much younger. So I got <laughs> away with it. If you see me today, if you see me today, there's no way they would mistake me for a student. But anyway, but those were the days. and And you got away with a lot of stuff when you were younger. Now I'm a wee bit older. I get spooked out on Halloween, and I suppose this subject is sort of appropriate for your program. So again, delightful to be with you two again. Oh, well, no,
0: we are just we're so thrilled to have you here today, Ivor.
2: Thank you.
1: Well, I was posting some pictures of you on Facebook yesterday on our page, and I had. One of you, probably 1965, I would imagine, uh, right, right alongside one of you two years ago, and I have to say, there's not a lot of difference either. So. Oh wow,
2: well, thank, thank you, thank you very much. It's
1: it's, um, it's true. You
2: right,
1: you stay right, in right, shape, right. don't you? You work out a lot, and you stay in shape, and and you can tell. So I I totally see how you got in as a student. Well, we said a moment ago that you are the living definition of someone who wrote the book because Five to Die was, as we said in the intro, found to be so accurate and thorough that it was accepted as court record in the Manson trial. But now, few years later, you've released a brand new much more in-depth book on the Manson cult and the events of the Tate-LaBianca murders and the Manson trial, which really wasn't covered as much in Five to Die. And this work is by no means, listeners, by no means Five to Die warmed over. It's an entirely new creation. But before we look at the new book, let's set the stage by going back and looking at your initial work, Five to Die. So... Ivor, what made you decide to report on the Manson murders and and how long did you research this back in the 60s?
2: Well, you've got to realize that, as I said, I was a much younger fellow then, very inquisitive, working as a a, a reporter for the London Daily Express based in Hollywood, based in Southern California. And in 1969, um, I was sent to Beverly Hills because they said there'd been a terrible, terrible murder. So to cut a long story short, then maybe we'll get back to that, about who who was murdered. And as you said in your introduction, there's an intriguing film out now by Quentin Tarantino called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But as you pointed out rather discreetly, without wanting to spoil it for those who haven't seen the film, the movie, as the title suggests, is a fairy story, a fairy tale. It isn't quite accurate. So let me just jump back to me then. Young reporter covering these horrible murders, and then I discover, as the world discovers, that a guy called Charles Manson, a perennial young man who was in jail from very young in reform schools, was the leader of this murderous pack. And would you believe they said he lived at the Spahn movie Ranch? And anybody who's seen the Quentin Tarantino film will see the Spawn Movie Ranch, but maybe more about that later. So I, I high off as I run off to the Spa Movie Ranch to find out who is this guy, what's going on, what's the background, uh, just a normal thing a reporter would do. And when I got there, I found some uh, Manson family members who were not in jail, who sat down with me over a period of three or four days and told me the most incredible story that i could not believe mm. and basically mm. they said that charles manson had brainwashed his followers all young women runaways from from very well to do homes to believe would you believe that <laughs> elter skelter the beatles album the, the on the beatles white album was a call to a revolution between blacks killing whites, whites killing blacks. I mean, when I heard that, as you can imagine, I thought, what a lot of old rubbish. Because I knew Helter Skelter, and I don't know if, I mean, the lyrics of Helter Skelter do not, do not tell people to go out and kill. I mean, it's as simple as that. Mm -mm. And yet Mm -mm. Manson was able to, to brainwash his people into believing that. So when I got out there and I heard this story, of this incredible uh, blueprint for murder, The Beatles, um, I quickly mm. wrote Five to Die. And Five to Die came out before the trial began in July 1970. And one day I was in court when they rushed in with my book, showed it to the judge, the, the defense lawyer for Manson, and said, this book is not going to get our people a fair trial. The judge looked at it about for about 45 seconds and said, and I always remember this, I was in court, he said, oh, this is the usual scurrilous stuff. Motion mm-hmm. denied, the trial is going to continue in Los Angeles, let's get on with it. And so for the next year I sat in court listening to a an unbelievable motive for the murders that was presented by Vincent Bugliosi, the prosecutor, to the jury. And at the end of a year, the jury believed that the Beatles' music inspired Manson to tell his people to go out and kill, and he convicted them all. I mean, today, in the, in, in the clear, solid light of today, I still believe it was a load of old rubbish, and that there's no way the Beatles' music inspired anyone for a revolution to kill people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, isn't a um, helter-skelter a, a piece of children's playground equipment? It's a slide.
2: Yeah, it's a slide, yes. I think. It is yeah. a slide. It's, it's, it's a fun fair. Paul wrote it about a fun fair. A, a little ride in, in England, they used to, the helter-skelter. You go up and down and up and down. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. not a word. In, it, I mean, look at the lyrics. I mean, I know you, Jude. I mean, I know you guys are knowledgeable about Beatle lyrics particularly Jude with an incredible history of John Lennon, you know that there's nothing in there that is a, is a call to revolution. It's just mm-hmm. a song, an exciting song, a song with, with with a musical background that does sound a little bit kind of fierce, but it doesn't say go out and kill, or anybody's going to go out and kill, and neither do any other of the songs on the White Album, Revolution, Sexy Sadie, any of that stuff, and if I may just add this, and we're going to jump ahead, but Jude knows that when I went to see John Lennon about seven years later, and he was in L.A. with May Pang, I asked him about it. He didn't want to talk about it, but when he knew I covered the trial, he said, "He said this is a load of old, and he actually used rather strong words that I won't use on your program, but you can get the message that John was very, very upset, and he said, finally, he said, what is, Helter Skelter or any of those songs got to do with stabbing people to death. It's rubbish. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if you listen to words of revolution, he says if you want to have anything to do with people who have minds that hate – all I can tell you is go to your house and wait. Yeah, I don't want anything to do with you. And if right. you want want to have a revolution, let me see your plan. What's your plan? Because what are you going to replace the existing things with? And then he says to him if you, you know if you're wanting to deal with Chairman Mao, you ain't going to make it with anyone anyhow. He was never yeah. never for killing or violence or even says you can count me out. You know you you can count me out of violence. So the Beatles did definitely didn't espouse that. Well, so you take your tape recorder, you head out to the Spahn Ranch, and you interview the family members. How long did it take you to compile the research that ended up being in Five to Die?
2: Well, after about three or four days there, when I just couldn't believe what I was hearing and tape recorded everything, and then I knew the trial was coming up, I thought we had to do the book, we had to tell the world what was going on, and then... The book came out as as you had mentioned before the trial began. And I know from one of the district attorneys, and this always seems very self serving, I must admit, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say it, it does sound self self serving, but believe me I got this from a deputy district attorney who worked with right close to Vince Bugliosi. And he said to me, Vince got your book which came out before the trial and in your book you lay out this ridiculous motive for the murders. Uh, that Manson told everybody the White Album was the reason, the, the, the Bible for the killings. I mean, so he said, and Vince had got it from your book. Well, it didn't matter, as I said a moment ago, Vince took that and ran with that. And the reason he ran with that was, I think, that he was able to convince the jury to believe that Manson was the co-conspirator in the murders because, and this is very important, because Manson never went to the Sharon Tate murder house. Manson went to the Labiancas. Sharon Tate was murdered on August the 9th, 1969. The Labiancas were murdered the following day, 15 miles away. But Manson wasn't actually involved in the killings. So I believe that the district attorney used the helter-skelter theory so that he would convince the jury that Manson was even though he didn't stab anyone he was part of the murder scene because otherwise if you hadn't used that theory who knows Manson would have gone free and this would have been a completely different story so really um, yeah amazing I know even 50 years later and it's 50 years ago um, when I look at it all I think how how could the jury believe that how could the jury hear the music Mm. I mean you know the music your listeners know the music you know the lyrics come on it's it's it's, it's a joke but it isn't a joke it's a tragedy
1: yeah yeah. Well, okay, so let's fast forward to 2017 or, or 2018 when you began working on this brand new, even more comprehensive work on the Mansons and the murders and the trial and all of the events that came after. What was it that nudged you to take up the research again? I mean, what was what's new and different and exciting in the latest work Manson exposed?
2: Well, I mean, very simply it was this. About two years ago, I was visiting my daughter, who lives in the Pacific Northwest, and we had two young men who were remodeling the kitchen. And during a break, we had a cup of tea together, and we started talking about all sorts of things, crime. And I said to them, they were in their maybe late 20s, early 30s, what do you know about Charles Manson? And one guy said, well, was he the guy that made everybody drink poison? I said, no, that was Jim Jones in Jonestown. (laughs) And the other one, the other one said, oh, Manson, yeah, isn't he the guy that was railroaded by the police? (laughs) I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he was never at any murders, but they convicted him of killing people when he was never there. He was actually a good guy who wanted clean water, clean Mm. air. (laughs) And I thought, oh, my God, if young Mm. people, if young people grow up believing that, then something is terribly wrong. And this kind of, if you want to call it, inspired me or or kick, kick-started me to write all about it. And I knew a lot about it. I'd followed it. I'd interviewed key people. I'd covered the trial. I'd covered the parole hearings. And so I bought it right up to date with, it, <clears throat> with this new book and was able to include my interviews with Terry Melcher. Terry Melcher was the son of Doris Day. Terry Melcher was a... I was a recording producer for The Birds. Terry Melcher lived in the Sharon Tate house before Sharon Tate lived in the house. And so um, it it needed to be told and be brought right up to date, which I did. And then, of course, in 2017, Manson died in his 80s in prison. So my new book is, is From A to Z, All the Stuff I Couldn't Write Years Ago.
0: Well, Ivor, I just finished Manson Exposed a couple of months ago, and I have to say that the new material that you uncover is remarkable, and you do such an outstanding job of uh, telling the background for each, I'll just say each character character, and, and, you know, then giving us an update as to where they are today and all of that. It, the, the amount of information in the book, is it, it just, it's spellbinding. And I, I couldn't, I could hardly put the book down. But I loved reading about all of the people that you interviewed. And in one chapter, you even talked about inter- interviewing Roman Polanski, I believe, in Paris. Yeah, and uh, and and you know all of the all of these exciting interviews and and such that you include in this this um, ver- this second book is is outstanding. You did a terrific job.
2: Well, I was going to ask you. I mean, uh, do you did you know much about it before you read the book? I mean, you are considerably younger than I am, and. <laughs> I wondered what you knew about it and where you got your information. I started to turn it on you. And then I'm going to I... ask you about about the <laughs> movie because the movie presents a, a, a different version of what happened. So can you tell me, right. I mean, Jude, Jude knows everything. She knows all the John Lennon <laughs> music. She knows she's the number one historian about John Lennon in the world. So can I throw the question back to you?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we can we can... We can try. Now, when I was, um, you know, I was, I don't know, three or four years old when the Manson murders took place. So, of course, I didn't know about about any of that. But my dad had Vincent Bugliosi's book. And ah. when I was a young teen, you know, probably 12 or 13, I happened upon the book. And it has lots of graphics pictures and you know it was just one of those creepy things that horror love horror movie loving kids um you know were intrigued with so i did read a lot and and i was a huge beach boy fan at the time and i I remember reading about dennis wilson being involved in the whole thing from the beach boys and i was just like what (laughs) but anyway um i did see the tarantino movie this summer and I thought it was cinematography was spectacular you <laughs> know the 60s stuff was spectacular um but when it was over uh my husband even went that was terrible <laughs> that was horrible well, you're saying was,
2: Mike Mike did not like it
0: no <laughs> not at all and I and I think it was because he didn't understand that it was a fairy tale, and yes. it was not a, um, you know, it was just a creative spin on the tragedy, and what if, you know, what if it happened this way? And and so yes. I I really I did enjoy the movie. The acting was great. The the everything about it I loved, but you have to be prepared that it's not, you know, not anything
2: close. Not like the way it was, is
0: it? Not anything no. close. And so the young hipsters that wanted to go and see Margot Robbie, that beautiful thing. Um, oh, yeah. the, those hipsters have no idea that it, you know, what what the whole thing, how it all went down. So your your Manson exposed book is is just a, you know, a complete breakdown of yeah. how all the pieces fit together. And, and it's truly, it's truly magnificent. But Well, well can,
2: yeah, sorry to interrupt you, but I always say, and since I've been, you know, when you do a book, you get out on the road and you talk about it, you promote it. I always say that the movie is wonderful, fascinating, and actually captures 1969 meticulously, the music, the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I spent several days at the Spahn movie ranch, which was really a really decrepit old place, which had Mm. had seen its finest hour. No longer people went there to make movies. They went there to ride horses. And when I saw the stuff in the Tarantino movie, it was eerie. It was scary. Weren't you scared of those girls at at the Spahn ranch when Brad Pitt goes out there? Mm. I mean, they... Oh, yeah. It was... It was valley of the uh, village of the dam and
0: that and <laughs> yeah. was it was completely creepy. He completely captured that whole creepy vibe that yeah. um that that I would have envisioned and and I felt that same vibe reading um in your book about um all of the the events that took place and reading about how he how he brainwashed these these young girls and
2: yes.
0: you know that that's the scary part is uh, how how these kids that were a lot of them were affluent and how they were transformed and brainwashed into being you know cold stone killers
2: don't forget what the way he did it very cleverly and very uh, Machiavellianly, he mm-hmm. gave them LSD and mescaline and mm-hmm. all manner of drugs. He fed them these mm-hmm. awful mind-bending drugs, and and by the time they were ready to go out and kill, I think a lot of them were pretty high. But that's not an excuse for mass murder, saying right. you were on drugs. But one thing right. you said, which is fascinating, if I may, um, a lot of people. Uh, did not know that Manson was bosom buddies with Dennis Wilson the the drummer of the Beach Boys Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. story about that is fascinating because you if you wrote it people wouldn't believe it Charles Manson was a nobody an ex-criminal and all of a sudden he became pals with Dennis Wilson so much so that he moved into Dennis Wilson's Sunset Boulevard mansion with the girls, (laughs) would you believe, lived there for three to six months, absolutely ripped the place inside out, but at the same time, Dennis Wilson was a big star with the Beach Boys, and all the big rock and roll stars, Neil Young, uh, the Mamas and the Papas, John Phillips, Mama, Cass, (laughs) all went along to Dennis Wilson's house, and and guess what the evening's entertainment was? Mr. Manson and the girls (laughs) playing the guitar, singing, and performing for them. So Manson wanted this. He loved this because he, deep down inside, wanted to become a rock star. And so, uh, I I mean, that Mm. scenario sounds outrageous, but it actually happened. (laughs) Wow,
0: Wow, that's absolutely, absolutely nuts. Well, I know about a year ago when we were in uh, Walnut Ridge, you shared an event with me that was a, a terrifying moment in your life during the trial and I think you mentioned it in the book as well tell us about yes. the uh, what you know Squeaky, what Squeaky. an odd event
2: yeah well uh, would you like me to should I mention what it was because it, it stayed with me forever yeah. so the first day of the trial don't forget I've written a book which was not flattering to Manson or his girls. And the girls ran around saying, oh, we're very innocent. We, uh, Charlie plays the guitar, You know, we're a bunch of wandering troubadours and murder's got nothing to do with anything we do, which was totally, utterly delusional. And then on the first day of the trial, I walked into the courthouse and sitting outside on the pavement, on the sidewalk was Squeaky and the other girls and they'd all shaved their heads because Manson told them to. Mm. And they had carved swastikas and crosses in their forehead. And Squeaky saw me, Lynn Squeaky from, and she knew that I was not a Charles Manson fan. I was negative. And she sweetly, in a little girl voice, said, Iva, do you know what it feels like to have a sharp knife slip down your throat? Well, (gasps) I I, want to tell you, um, I did not take that too kindly. And because I knew the Manson gang were capable of all sorts of horrible crimes and not everybody was in jail. So I rushed to the nearest payphone. In those days, we didn't have our cell phone. Rushed to the nearest mm-hmm. payphone, called my wife and said to her, Sally, take our daughter who was a year old and move into a friend's house because I'd just been threatened by a member of the Manson family. I should add as a footnote, thank heavens, you know, she left and uh, everything was okay. But six or seven years later, Lynn Squeaky Frome made front page headlines. You're going to take a guess at what she did? Do you remember?
1: Slit someone's throat?
2: No. Um, she, she pulled a gun and held a gun to shoot President Gerald Ford. Oh,
1: that's and right! Remember? Oh, yes. my gosh, said, yes!
2: Yes, and the, and the Secret Service jumped on her and wrestled the gun away. So this girl, who's still around, was capable of all sorts of things and was sent to prison, of course, for trying uh, assassination, assassination attempt. So the moral of my awful story is that these girls that were still devoted to Manson, even after the arrest, even after, even after the convictions, would have done anything in their power if, if Manson had ordered it and wow. that, was, that was the way they were wow well yes. I, I agree with you that
0: I I think he had given them so many of those mind-bending drugs that I think I think it really just killed their soul they, they yes. had no absolutely no um, remorse there you know no mm-hmm. empathy at all it just it numbed them i think and (laughs) that allowed them to commit these horrendous crimes but um you you,
2: you see one of the things was and i discovered this when i went to the spawn ranch that all these young women and some young men uh, felt were looking for something in their lives they were discontented they 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 weren't happy Mm -hmm. with their own parents they thought what you know is that all there is what what else is there for life and so they found this guy who was a glib fast talking machiavellian guy and everything he told them they believed and they thought mm-hmm. he had the answer to the meaning of life of course he didn't he had the answer to the meaning of death <clears throat> right wow.
0: well he had grown up he had grown up in 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 prisons and foster homes and he really did grow up you know come from a horrible background but he learned he was a child of the street and he learned how he could take advantage of people and he was he was excellent at yes reading reading people and and and, and manipulating them
2: oh you're absolutely right and but here's the question i would ask you again (laughs) um we all know young men and young women possibly who have had a tough time in childhood? Who maybe went to reform schools? Who whose parents split up? His mother was a, a prostitute. His father he never knew. And and that is you know with that is a sympathetic background. But but um, a lot of kids grew up in poverty and like that and abandoned and but did they turn out to be architects of mass murders? I don't think so. Right, no. I agree. I agree.
0: He was he was. He was not of, of, of this world. I, mean, I think he was from the underworld. But um, as, as much as I think he was a monster and needed to be held accountable for what he, what he inspired and what he, he drove those people to do, do you feel like his trial in a legal sense was a fair one?
2: Well, what was the trial a fair one? It was, but what a lot of people don't know, and I was there in the second row every day for nearly a year, was that i covered trials. I covered the Sihan Sihan trial for the assassination of Bobby Kennedy. And so when I sat through this trial, nothing was predictable. Now, if you feel that you are innocent, surely, surely you, when the opportunity comes for the defense to present their case, you stand up, and you explain yourself, you talk about your terrible childhood, or you talk about whatever, but you say something in your defense. Would you believe that in this trial, 1970 to 71, not one single defendant testified in their own defense? I mean, don't ask me why. It was a ridiculous strategy, but they never said a word in their own defense. Because Manson...
1: Mm. (laughs)
2: Manson told them to shut up, and they did. And and the jury realized that Manson had this absolute control of them, even behind bars. And that, mm. that fitted meticulously into uh, that Manson was the chief conspirator and they would have done anything he told them, including kill. But nobody testified in court for themselves. Wow. I mean, it, it's mad, isn't it? Absolutely. Incredible, absolutely incredible.
1: Yeah, I. It reminds me of that episode in Five to Die where Manson tells that young man to lie down on the bench, and the guy stays there for three whole days. Yes, he doesn't get up. Get up from that bench.
2: I mean that is that is an amazing story, but it shows you the control, the mind control that he had, because Manson. Treated them sweetly at times. He treated them monstrously. He beat them up, and, and 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 they were prepared to do whatever he said. Even what you just said a moment ago, which is, which is lie down and do his bidding for three days. Um, mm. Some of the stuff that went on there was beyond belief.
1: Yeah, it's just it is insane. Well, I, I the books are riveting and. They, the murders were just so shocking, especially considering the fact that you know one of your and I won't, you know, I won't share the details because we want people to read these great books. But I think if they know history, they know that one of the people who was murdered was pregnant, as well as being a celebrity. And the books are so well written, and I of course can hear you speaking in the pages of the book. I love your writing mm-hmm. style, mm-hmm. I really can. So where Absolutely. can people? Where can they get Manson exposed? And how can they keep in touch with you via social media? Uh, because you also have that other wonderful book, The Beatles on, and Me, on tour, which is, without a doubt, one of the most accurate and best books written on the 1964 and 1965 Beatles North American tour. So tell us how people can get your books.
2: Well, thank you so much. Um, the, one way to get the book is to go to wwwivadavisbooks.com which is my book website, and you can order it there, and you can read more than you ever wanted to know about me. So you don't have to read all that, but you can order the book, or you can go onto to Amazon and order the book. So it, either way, um, my, on my book site or, uh, or or on Amazon, you can get the book. It's kind of scary, but it's, I, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but I tried to tell it with a soup song, humor I mean can you can you believe that as you know I did
0: you you did you know inject some um, realistic uh, you know cu- current views on some of the things that were happening you you know you gave your opinion a few times and and it's it's stellar I loved it and like Jude Jude said you you are when you read the book, you hear your voice. You, you hear you, t- um, Ivor telling the story, and it's it's terrific. We absolutely well, thank love you it. for saying that. And it is. so, and you, people can also find you on Facebook at Ivor Davis, but you also have a really cheeky Instagram page, and I can't remember the name that you go under on Instagram.
2: Well, you know to be honest with you, I think it might be I Davis Beatles it is but but, but it is okay but you know the amazing thing is um, the back in the in the 60s when I covered the trial the internet was non-existent and today being somewhat older it, it, it takes all my energy and effort to keep up to date with all the social media that is <laughs> all I social know. media that's how we <laughs> keep in touch. That's how we talk uh, that's how we know what's going on at Beatles at the Ridge or whatever with, with, with your with your books about John Lennon. so uh, young people and listeners that your show know um, that they can get online and they can read all about it can't they
1: absolutely hey, Ivor I just looked it up and you are on Twitter at i davis Beatles and on instagram you are cockney kid one c-o-c-k-n-e-y kid 1.
2: Oh thank you well i'm glad well you know it, it was wonderful to, to find out what my moniker is <laughs> <laughs> I down I, I am honestly cockney kid one okay well i'm a cockney kid and a, and a cockney kid if, if if any of your listeners don't know is a, a kid that grew up in the east end of london within the sounds of Bow Bell Church, which was a working-class neighborhood of, of the United Kingdom of London. So I'm a Cockney kid, and so is mm-hmm. Michael Caine and some other pretty good people around, all Cockneys.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. In good company. Well, Ivor, you also have a fourth book, which is a children's book about the Beatles. It's entitled ah. Meet the Penguins and yeah, sure. I must, um I must quickly, so
2: can i tell you a, a, a 20 seconds of that Yes. yeah, yeah. It, okay it's called ladies and gentlemen the penguins and the reason, is, I, I wrote, the reason i wrote the book for children i mean if paul mccartney can write a children's book surely i have can. data <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Cheers. i was in, i was in the falkland islands which is in the in the Atlantic Ocean, 300 miles from from Argentina, I was doing a, a, a lecture tour on one of the cruise ships, and I got off at the Falkland Islands, and I met 300 English people living there and a million penguins, and the penguins <laughs> all spoke with squawked with an English accent. So I thought, oh, oh my God, why not have four penguins, English penguins, who want to be rock stars bigger than the Beatles? So I. I got a great illustrator from Liverpool, would you believe, to do this book, which is kind of fun, and, and my, believe it or not, the four penguins, became big, they got so big, that they were invited, to appear, on the New York show, the Ed Pelican show, <laughs> remember that one, the Ed Pelican show, and their first big hit, was, was, I want to hold your flipper, <laughs> so, so so there's a lot of fun for adults reading it to their kids
1: and mm-hmm. a
2: friend of mine wrote a song called i'm a penguin and i love going to children's libraries and, see, and 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 reading the book and i want to tell you the best reading i ever had of my book was sometime a couple of years ago when a lady called jude i forget her last name read my book at Peetles <laughs> at the ridge and it was it was terrific. It was the best reading I've ever had. Uh, and I'm trying to hire that lady, but she's so busy, <laughs> she turns me down. <laughs>
0: well, Maybe I think give that lady a YouTube who, video.
2: yeah, yeah, I think that would be a great idea. It, anyway, it's it's fun, and 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 um, uh, I mean, I must say, uh, 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 what is it called when you, you have to reveal all to your listeners, Jude? read the book in the most amazing way. We had a lot of kids there and they were mesmerized by your reading. So when you're free, let me know and we'll hit the road together. All right.
1: I'm all for it. I like the YouTube idea. We can do a video and I think we should do that right away.
2: Okay, you're on. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, whatever you do or write or teach, we, Lena and I, are 100 Percent behind you all the way. We are the charter members of the Ivor Davis Fan Club, and and we always will be. You are our very dear friend, and you are going to be, Ivor, our last guest, I believe, for 2019, because Lena and I have decided to take a couple months off. We're going to catch up on our writing and celebrate the holidays and recuperate from Beatles at the Ridge, where you are the, the favorite person that they ever had in Walnut Ridge, truly beloved. So we were extremely blessed to have you as our final guest of the year, and we hope to see you again in 2020. So thank you very, very much for being on the show.
2: Well, thank, thank you both, you. and thank I look you. forward to seeing you again. Always a delight to chat because we've got so much to talk about.
0: We do. We'll have to do this again very soon. Maybe, uh, maybe we'll meet again in Malibu. Who knows? You never know. You never know. You <laughs> I love you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, from Ivor, Jude, and me, here's to food for thought, food for the soul, and food for the love of rock and roll. Truff and shine yep. on.